Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Raising kids can be hard work. And if you're raising children with another person, it often works best when you're on the same page. But what happens when you and the other person separate and it's acrimonious? What do you do if your co-parent isn't parenting well? Dr. Vanessa Lapointe is a psychologist and author. She also has just been married for the second time, so she has special insight into this. She also has two boys. Hi, Vanessa. How are you? Uh, hi, I'm brilliant. Thank you for having me. Do you like how I just tacked on that personal insight at the end? I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so... All the best evidence tells us that if you and your ex-partner put your kids first in a separation, that your kids will be okay. What does that look like, putting your kids first? That's a really great question. I think putting your kids first means that you do not let the pride of the ego get in the way of or color the decisions that you are making around all things to do with your family, including settlement and mediation and all of those kinds of pieces. Now, when I said in the introduction, you know, what do you do if your co-parent isn't parenting well? Um, I'm not saying that to allow people to throw shade at each other, but there are sometimes in a relationship, one parent who is absolutely across what is in the best interests of the child. And maybe the other parent isn't so much and they are more in the pain of that separation or they maybe are a bit narcissistic or something like that. Lots of different reasons, right? So I'm not just saying, you know, if your ex-partner drops the kids off without the kids' soccer shoes, I'm not saying that that's bad parenting. What I'm talking about is if it's acrimonious and one partner is doing things like, they have the kids for the weekend and then your kids come back to you saying all nasty things about, let's say, it's the mum. So the dad's been saying mm. to the mum, oh, it's mum's fault we broke up, mum's doing all this wrong, mum's nasty, all that sort of thing, like really nasty stuff that we know does happen in a separation. Um, how can the other parent deal with that knowing not only is it painful for them, but even putting that to one side, it's harmful for the kids, right, to be told mm -hmm. that about their parent. Yeah. And so, you know, I think there's a few different things to be considering in all of that. The first is that the science of child development is absolute in the idea that it only takes one, one big person to show up in a child's life in a way that is resonant with the child's needs developmentally and otherwise. And so a lot of times we can lose faith if we have, you know, a partner who's arguably doing things that are very harmful to the child, including speaking ill of their other parent to them. We can lose faith and think, oh, the kids are going to be ruined by this. And just for the listeners to know that it's really only takes one person. And so continue to show up, even if you're swimming upstream. The other piece of that is that we can hear those kinds of things from our children and feel like we must step in and fix it right away. When what our children need the very most in that moment is first 
to be seen and heard for what that experience has been like for them. Oh, daddy said those things. Was there other things that daddy said? You can tell me all of it. And daddy said that too. How was that for you? Mm. How did that make you feel? What's it like for you to hear daddy talk about mommy that way? And for you as the parent in that, to be very in check, knowing that in this moment, you are there in the service of your child. There will be another moment later where you get to be there in the service of yourself and you can go in and tend to the wounds that that may have opened up for you. That's so interesting. It wouldn't be the first thing I would think of doing (laughs) if my child was saying that to me. Um, But I I 100% appreciate how that would work. I can also imagine in that scenario, if we're talking about heterosexual couples here, that if someone has maybe boys and their father is saying bad things about their mother, or if they have girls and the mother is saying bad things about the father, the other thing that would concern me in that is um, the role modeling that's giving children about particular genders. So I know you don't need a male and a female to have a happy family, but if you're raising young boys and you see some kind of example of toxic masculinity, or if you're raising young girls and you see this really awful approach or attack on men, um, that can feel like the role modeling is the damaging part. Can you maybe talk to that, given what you just said previously, that it only takes one good parent, you know, to step up to the plate? I do think the role of that good parent is to ensure that the child are seen and heard, as we just discussed, and also are given a bit of a roadmap for what it's meant to look and feel like. One of the things over the years as a psychologist that I have seen makes children crazy in these kinds of situations is when a parent is behaving really badly and the other parent is coaching them along saying, well, you know they really love you. And so there's a problem with excusing or not addressing that bad behavior, for lack of a better term, because it leads the child to flail about in the wind and wonder you know, what is the path? How are we meant to do this? Mm. One of the things that I came into um, both as a mother myself and have offered to client families as well is for us to be able to separate that parent's behavior from the truth of who they are. Right. And so, you know, if my child were to come home and say, daddy was saying terrible things about you or daddy did this or daddy did that, The first step is to, how was that for you? That kind of conversation. And then after that, to talk about, what do we know is the truth of who dad is? That behavior is not dad's truth. That behavior, maybe it comes from being tired or maybe it comes uh, from, you know, other problems that dad is having, but that behavior is not your daddy's truth. What do we know is the truth of who dad is? The truth of who dad is, is that he loves us and he's a good soul, even if he doesn't always behave in those ways. So you mentioned there that, um, you know, not calling out or addressing the behavior of the ex-partner can lead a child to be confused. But if we take the situation of, for example, uh, a co-parent who's not showing up for the kids, so 
for example, they've said they'll come to a party or they'll come to an awards night or they're letting their kids down in that respect. Mm-hmm. How we acknowledge that for our kids, are we able to say, look, this isn't the truth of who dad is, but this behaviour is not okay. Um, just thinking of a child in that situation potentially being really hurt by that behaviour, are we able to say that in a way that's not um, throwing shade at the other partner? Yes, and only after you have heard your child fully for the sadness or the anger that the parent's lack of participation has brought forward in the child. So the first thing you'd want to say, you know, when the child's like, well, where's mommy or where's daddy? Why aren't they here? You would want to answer that truthfully. I don't know. And I can imagine that it's really disappointing for you. Do you want to tell me about that? And allow for there to be some space in that. You don't have to erase the tears. You don't have to make it go away. You have to invite all of that to be expressed because what we repress will depress. And so we don't want to do that. We want them to express it. We want all the tears and all the anger and everything to come out. And then once that has been fully processed, which in some cases may take a few days, Then you can say, you know, I've been thinking about how it was for you the other day. And sometimes, it depends on your individual situation, you can say and do things like, um, you know, I remember the very first time your daddy laid eyes on you. I saw the twinkle in those eyes. I know what is at the core of his heart in terms of how he feels about you. So I know that this means that dad's probably having a tough go right now. And that's like why he didn't show up. And I also know that's really hard for you. So there's a way of creating space for it without excusing it. So that the child understands like that's a tough go. And that is not the way that this is meant to play out. Just thinking about the person who's trying to be the best parent in the face of what would be a very challenging situation if their ex-partner is not showing up and probably that person who is trying to be a good parent is dealing with their own grief, hurt, pain, anger from the relationship breakdown. It sounds like you need to be really strong to show up the right way for your kids How can parents do that? Do you have any tips on how Mm. a parent can find that strength without ignoring their own challenges in that situation? It is a really tough go. And I think back to the first six months after my um, marriage ended, and I would not wish that six-month period on my worst enemy. There were stretches of time where it was... It was hard to get out of bed. It was hard to eat. Much less be very consciously present for the emotional health and well-being of your children (laughs) in the midst of all of these challenging dynamics. And I think, you know, the first thing for all of us to understand if you're living that situation is that you are a human being. You're not a machine. And so you just need to do this good enough. You don't need to be perfect at it. You just need to show up enough that your kids get what it is that they need out of that dynamic. And there will be times, as there were for me, a trained professional in this area, (laughs) there will be times 
where you're going to drop the ball and you're going to muck it up and then you're going to have to swoop back in and clean up the mess after the fact. One of the things that I learned as a mother during that period of time for myself and my children is that there is nothing like parenthood to show you the depth of grit and strength and determination and will that you can tap into when you really know what your why is, when you really are able to keep front and center that you are focused inherently on your family being okay. That includes that other parent, by the way, and that you're just gonna continue to do what love would do. You're gonna continue to show up each and every moment attempting to put love first and see where you land, which doesn't mean that you never put your foot down, that you never declare a very firm boundary about things. And in fact, sometimes the kindest, most loving thing you can do is to be very firm. And it does mean that you always go the way that love would go. It strikes me that this is a long game because what we all know once we have children with someone else is that that person will be in our child's life forever and we also will be there. So we have to work out some way to look at the long game. And that might be really hard at the start because you'd be like, oh God, I just want to run away and never see you again. But you can't do that when you have kids. I'm wondering if you can talk to how it was for you, given that the six months were really hard. And then I'm assuming after that, you have to keep working, keep going back. Even if you're exhausted and you're over and you're tired, you have to keep going back and building that pathway for you and your family, does it get easier? It does get easier. And the, and I'll let your listeners in on sort of some behind the scenes to give you some context for what that actually looks like day to day. So I'm five and a half years out of my first marriage, and I recently um, got married again. Yay! And it's so exciting. <laughs> And at the five and a half year mark, what I can tell you for sure is absolutely it's easier. It's easier because I have done a lot of work on myself in those five and a half years. I have opened everything up and examined it in detail, layer by layer by layer by layer through a number of different processes um, and will continue to do that very likely until the moment that I take my last breath. So what I have found is that I have been able to rewire my reactions to the world around, that I am less at the effect of the external world because I am ultimately at peace with my internal world. And so when something goes sideways, I'm still five and a half years on involved with the court system about my children. Um, to do with, you know, a variety of different issues. And there are still challenging things. There will be, you know, I used to sit just in absolute fear of opening my email inbox and seeing an email message from my lawyer because I knew it was on then. And now I'm able to see those emails come in and be relatively neutral about them. And every now and then it still gets me. <laughs> but on the whole, I'm able to hold the space on the whole. You know, if my children come back from a visit with their father and report to me that something untoward happened on that visit, I'm mostly able to stay level. Every now and then, we're all human, we're not machines. 
I have a moment where I need to clearly go inside and do some tending uh, <laughs> and then circle back around to my children and do some tending there as well. So it definitely gets easier. The interesting thing about that is that it's taken a lot of work for it to become easier. And oftentimes when I'm working with other parents around this or speaking to people like you, I'll get questions around this. Well, that seems like an awful lot of work to make all of that come together and happen. And my answer to that is that all of it's work. Not doing the work is still work because I'm going to have a disaster of a life around me that I have to <laughs> contend with. Um, so you, you get to choose the kind of hard that you're willing to engage with. And my choice, a very conscious choice, was to choose to really work on myself. It's the only thing that we ultimately have power over. And that's what's made it easier, five and a half years in counting. And you do hear often people say, I've done the work. I know that will mean different things for different people. But if someone's listening to this thinking, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I know I need to do the work. But how do you do the work? What, what does mm -hmm. that process involve on a practical level? It's a great question. And I think, you know, speaking very candidly, there's a lot of work that actually isn't helpful to people in that situation. And so some key ingredients, things that you would want to look for. Um, I 100% think that it's incredibly helpful to have an outside person involved, a healer of some sorts, be that a psychologist, a counselor, a therapist of another kind, that you'll want a guide that can come alongside you and keep you on the path. Because when you're deep in your own challenges and mess, it can be very, very hard to see from a more neutral space what it is that's happening. So you definitely want to look for a guide. The kind of guide that you want to look for is somebody who's not going to spend very much time, if any, speaking about your former partner. That person's work, the focus of how they're going to drill into this alongside you will be you. It's about your programs. It's about your choices. It's about your perceptions. It's about the way you choose to feel and react in every single moment, from moment to moment to moment to moment. So you'll want a guide. You'll want that guide to be very focused on you. If you find that that guide is spending a lot of time talking about your former partner, then my humble opinion, you're not with the right guide. And then the third thing that you would want to know is that talk therapy is going to be really helpful for certain parts of this. And my experience has been the more clever you are, the more you will use language and words and talk therapy to short circuit or circumvent your actual healing. And <laughs> indeed, as we, you know, learn more and more about how people reprogram themselves and rewire their brains, we know that at times you have to step out of the comfort of talk therapy and into the world of what I will term process work. Process work can be a lot of things. It can be meditation. It can be yoga. It can be mindfulness, it can be breath work, it can be, um, you know, energy work, psyche and those kinds of things. So there's a zillion, quadrillion different modalities for your healer to be somebody who knows about the value of that and who can either guide you towards those things and or has those things in their own toolkit would also be really helpful. Well, thank you, Vanessa. I know I started off talking about how you deal with a a troublesome co-parent, but I actually 
think that that part about how you show up for yourself and how you move yourself forward is a big part of that question. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. You're so welcome. That's Dr. Vanessa Lapointe. She's a psychologist and author. I'll put links to her website in the notes of this episode. I'm Siobhan Hunt. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us so we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, send your email to feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.